Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Um, we having fun? <clears throat> uh, maybe some, but for uh, many, the, the answer probably isn't a, a resounding yay. Uh, the first day of a retreat is, is hard for most people. It's challenging. Uh, that settling in period that was mentioned uh, briefly last night. Uh, just first, a, a quick weather report. I did this in one of the groups. Uh, how many people um, uh, had sleeping have had sleepiness today? Take a look around. Okay. How many people uh, have experienced restlessness, like uh, antsy, and feel like, gee, I wish I could move around? Okay. How many people uh, have had uh, aches in the body to deal with? Okay, look around. Uh, and uh, how many people have had uh, busy minds? Yeah, that's a pretty safe question. Look around. Um, well, it's good to know you've got some company, huh? You're right on schedule. Perfect. Because <clears throat> that's a lot what the the first day or so of a retreat is about. Even if you've been doing it for decades, the, the thing that gets easier is, you know that's part of the package, just like you know going to the gym, uh, if you haven't been there for a while, uh, it's gonna be sore and uh, it'll take some getting used to and uh, you have that adjustment period. And just knowing that makes it uh, a bit easier. But at the beginning, uh, it takes a little while to land here in the present. <clears throat> so I wanted to talk tonight about um, what we're doing. Actually, the, the question often can come up, what are we doing? You know, how many people have had that question? What are we doing? Yeah, or what's the point of all of this? Yeah, yeah. Very common question. What are we doing? Um, why we're doing it? And uh, how to do it? That is um, just some supportive attitudes that you might keep in mind. And um, what's, what's the point? What, is the, what are the fruits of, of doing this? <clears throat> There'll be a lot of instructions as we go through the retreat, working with the breath today, and we'll open up more to include uh, body sensations and sounds and emotions and the thought process itself and maybe some other elements uh, as well. And uh, it, it might be, it might seem like a lot to try to um, pay attention to or uh, to figure out. And uh, I just wanted to first say that the instructions all distill down to very simply this. What's happening now? Can I let it be here as it is in a wise, with a wise relationship? And can I bring a relaxed, interested, 
and kind awareness to the moment. That's at least my instructions that I give to myself and to anyone who asks, what's happening now? Let it be how it is and open to it with a relaxed, interested, kind awareness. So first, um, what's happening now? I want to talk a little bit about mindfulness and um, just the essence of it. It's, it's something so simple and so radical and so uh, profound that we can uh, miss it easily. Because we spend so much of our time living in the past or living in the future or lost in fantasy or if we are here wanting it to be different than how it is <clears throat> or wanting it to stay, uh, that uh, this is a, a very um, significant shift in um, being, uh, being present in your life. First, this mindfulness is simply noticing what's actually happening now. That, you know, that word vipassana that was mentioned last night, the, the actual translation is, uh, from, the, uh, from the Pali is to see things clearly, to see things as they really are. So you're not necessarily trying to make anything happen. In fact, I would suggest don't try to make anything happen, just to see what's really here. And whatever is here is fine. It's not up to you to make it any better or change your reality. It's just reality. Okay? So if you're sleepy, oh, it's sleepy. Sometimes I say, oh, sleepy Buddha, that's what's here now. If you're um, feeling joy, oh, here's joy. If you're feeling confused, oh, confused Buddha, that's what's going on. And it makes it so much easier to realize you don't need to have an agenda for the moment. The moment happens all by itself. Whether you can meet it is the, is the task. So to see things just as they are as best you can and just call it like it is. This sometimes isn't so, uh, so easy to do because we, we tend to embellish our experience. I, I grew up in New York City and people there often live in superlatives. This is the most intense day I've ever had. You know? <laughs> Even more than yesterday. Right? You know? That was the great, this, this movie is just gonna blow your mind. It's the best. You ever have somebody say that and you go there and say, was a, it was a pretty good movie, but it wasn't the best, you know, and it just kind of loses something in the translation. This is just calling it like it is. So seeing things clearly, being here in the present moment, which is the only moment that there is, however, it's so elusive uh, because, as I said, we have this tendency to be other places, to just see the now. Anything else is a thought 
it's a thought that's happening now, but it's not about now. How many people had memories today? Come up. How about the planning mind? What am I going to do when I get out of here? Yeah, yeah. And every now and then, oh, here's the breath. Oh, here's a moment of, of life. Oh, how interesting. You know, even as I've been talking, since I've been talking, have you noticed your mind? I wonder if I'm going to like this talk and uh, how am I going to do tomorrow? And maybe every now and then, what is this guy saying? Oh, yeah, here, here we are. Because the mind just kind of weaves in and out of reality. So this is really radical to actually be directly connected with our experience. And as we're more connected with our experience and here in the present moment, something becomes increasingly clear. And that is that the present moment is continually changing. It's in a constant state of flux. Whatever you experienced is going to change. Think of how many, how many thoughts you've had today. Just coming and going, coming and going. Did you create them? Did you say, I'm going to think a lot of thoughts today. They just keep on happening all on their own. How many sensations have you had today? How many different moods have you gone through today? It's continually changing. And that might not seem like news to you. You know, perhaps if you've done any reading in Buddhist teachings or you've, uh, if somebody asks you, do things change? Most people, you know, if, who come here would say, oh yeah, things change. Most people outside anywhere would say things change. But to have the direct experience of things changing, that's different to see for yourself, to sit here from the beginning of a sitting to the end and realize I haven't gone anywhere in this body, but so much has happened. You know? That is the direct experience of seeing how things change. And when you really see that for yourself, then you see the futility of holding on to pleasant experience. Sometimes you have some really sweet, delicious moments here. If they come, how wonderful. Don't hold on to them. They're going to change. Yeah. And if we knew that in our life, when things, you ever have that experience of, wow, I finally got my life together. I've worked really hard for this, and now everything's fallen into place, clear sailing from here on in. And you forget the truth that things change. And the more you see it for yourself, the less you're confused about that. The good news is no matter how bad it gets, things change. Whether it's your uh, ache in your body or a mood that it seems will never go away or in your life a real sadness we all experience loss and grief and, and uh, many very, uh, experience various forms of trauma, but you will probably laugh again. You'll probably 
feel uh, touched by the goodness of, of others again. You'll probably smile again. And to realize no matter what's happening now, it will change. Gives you more courage to be with things as they are. So seeing things clearly, being here in the present, noticing how things change. And the fourth quality of this mindfulness that I I find really helpful to keep in mind is that um, uh, what is called a non-judging awareness. That is an awareness that's not putting on an editorial comment of how things should be. Because when you finally are here, often the response is, okay, this is a moment I'm here for, this is a good moment. Yeah, finally the universe is doing how it's supposed to and behaving itself. Or this is a lousy moment and if I were running the universe, I'd do a much better job than this and when is it going to get itself together, right? That kind of judgment uh, colors our connection to the moment. So this is a non-judging awareness, just seeing things as they are. This is easier said than done because uh, the mind has an incredible capacity to evaluate and judge. Now, I'm not talking about discernment. That quality of discernment, discriminating wisdom, observation, and uh, acting based on that uh, discriminating awareness is very, very helpful. But the judging that I'm talking about is the charged extra reaction to experience that's coming either from grasping or from aversion, that colors our experience. And uh, if you can have uh, an awareness without judgment, it's very powerful. And if you can have that all the time, I'd like to speak to you. Uh, (laughs) Because that's what minds do. Mm. So the idea isn't, get, isn't to get rid of the judgments. The judgments will be there. It's simply to not judge the judging. You can put layer on top of layer, you know. Oh, my mind is wandering. Oh, I'm not supposed to judge. Oh, that was another judgment. <laughs> oh, I just did it again, you know. You can put a whole stack of judgments on top of each other. At any one point, you can simply notice, oh, and there's judging in the mind, and not judge it, and be kind with it. Ah, home free. So this is the essence of what we're doing, being present for our experience, knowing what's happening now. why we're doing it. Mm. A number of really amazing things happen when you start cultivating this quality of being here for your experience in this very um, kind and clear way. For one, you start seeing um, the first insight in insight meditation. You know, this is called insight meditation, and I don't want you to be afraid that you'll come here and spend five days and not have any insight. So um, 
here's the first insight that you've probably seen for yourself. The mind is completely out of control. (laughs) Have you seen that? You might say, oh my God, how depressing. My mind is out of control. How awful. It's actually great news to see that your mind is out of your control. It can be trained, mind you, but what comes up at any one moment in your mind, you don't have that much control over. With training, you can be more and more connected to the present moment. But when you see everything is in there from commercial jingles when you were in the second grade to your, uh, your crushes in junior high to uh, the, the strangest little absurd things that, that people have said to you that you don't know why it's all of a sudden coming into your mind. It's all there in this incredible hard drive that we have. And when you see, oh, this mind is just doing its own thing, the good news is you don't have to take responsibility for what comes through your mind. It's just doing its own thing. So you don't have to blame yourself for having the weird thoughts that might come through, you know? That feeling, oh, if they only saw what was going through my mind, they'd lock me up. You ever have that feeling? Yeah. Or you don't have to take credit for the beautiful thoughts. Hey, that was a pretty neat thought. I hope everybody knows what a wonderful person I am. They just come through. But to see that your mind has a mind of its own, you say, gives you some space so then you can have some kind of capacity to not jump on every thought that comes through or believe it. It's so freeing when you don't have to blame yourself for the thoughts that come through. My teacher and uh, one of our main teachers, Joseph Goldstein, has this really great instruction. He says, if you're bothered, if you're sitting in the meditation hall and you're bothered by your thoughts, just imagine that they're coming from the person behind you. (laughs) Because for all intents and purposes, they are. How How did that thought come into my mind? Where did that one come from? And the problem is when you have a thought that comes through and you don't like it and want to get rid of it, it gets very thorny. I hate this thought. I have to get this thought out of my mind. You know what happens then, right? It's like the old, uh, um, don't think about a pink elephant right now. Get it out of your mind. Try really hard to get it out of your mind. The more you try to push something away, the more life you give it. So that's the first understanding that the mind just does its thing. And when you don't blame yourself for what comes through or take credit for what comes through, you can actually train yourself 
so that you can choose which thoughts serve you and which thoughts you don't need to uh, empower. Something else that happens as you bring this non-judging awareness, this kind awareness to the the moment, Mm. you start to see for yourself clearly how this mind is working and perhaps can have a little bit more compassion for yourself because it's just doing its own thing. And here we are, you're exploring the human predicament. As I said in that yesterday, in this fathom, or I forget when, in this fathom long body, the whole of life is revealed. I said that here, didn't I? Yeah. That this is the laboratory, and when you're not taking it personally, you move from, oh gosh, look at my mind, to, oh wow, look at, the mind. Oh, that's how the mind works. So you're an explorer in this laboratory and have a greater compassion for this predicament and also have a greater compassion for the predicament that we all share. And that lifts the barriers between us and others and um, is really another way of speaking about non-separation or love, what we call love. Mm. And some, uh, another tremendous benefit. As you start to pay attention and look without any preconception, life reveals itself to you. It's just how it works. If you're willing to pay attention, then wisdom arises. Clarity arises. Oh, this is how things work. And so there's a natural byproduct of wisdom, of clarity, of seeing how things are uh, as you develop this mindfulness. And finally, I'll mention one more thing before going on to the next piece. And that is, (laughs) that is peace. (laughs) That you start to become familiar with a place that is not confused, no matter if things are going well or difficult, there is an awareness that knows. There is an awareness that's not touched or tainted by the confusing thoughts that come through. And you become more and more connected to this place of home that's right inside of us. And the more you cultivate it here in this setting, this is the training ground. And the more you cultivate it and become familiar with it, the more you have access to it as you go through your life. It's quite extraordinary how that works. I was motivated to practice many years ago, because I was in a lot of suffering. I didn't particularly like myself. Um, I was very insecure. I had lots of self-judgments and um, lots, of, uh, uh, lots of things that, um, uh, that, that I didn't like about my behaviors. And I was, I was suffering. 
And I was looking for some answers. And when I first heard the teachings and, and my teacher Joseph say, it's actually possible to not be run by your neurotic thoughts. I'd never entertained that as a possibility before. But there was something about the way he said it and just the, the way he was that I believed him and I said, I'm going for it. You know? And so if you've got a lot of suffering, don't think that this is beyond your, uh, your capacities or your way behind. Actually, you can be that much more motivated to go deeply into the truth. Sometimes people who have it easier uh, are, um, they don't have what um, uh, Suzuki Roshi in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, they don't get the marrow of practice because uh, they're, uh, they haven't been as motivated by those who have uh, a lot of suffering. Now, don't go looking for suffering to get more motivated, but uh, just know that if, you, if you've touched some real pain and you're really looking for answers, this is a real blessing in disguise. Not only that, but the motivation will, as you cultivate your own center, you can be there in a more profound way perhaps than most when you're with people who are going through their own pain and sorrow and suffering. So we could talk the whole night and the whole retreat about all the benefits of, of this, but uh, I want to get to the next piece. Mm, that is um, to see clearly, to be with what's here and open to it with a relaxed, interested, kind awareness. <clears throat> relaxed. It's a nice word, isn't it? Even just hearing it, ah, relax. Mm. There's a kind of settling down a kind of ease and openness in that, that is not cheating. Actually, it's skillful. Because if you try too hard to do this right, all that happens is you get wound up in knots. And actually, a relaxed mind, it's been said here, before a relaxed mind and a relaxed body actually aids the practice. If you want to, uh, to develop concentration, it doesn't come from tightening up and getting really pouncing on your experience. It comes from an ease, easeful mind. Then you can see clearly. <clears throat> so I want to talk a little bit about this relaxed awareness. Mm. Really, what we're talking about is a sense of spaciousness and ease. We are so prone to contract either around experience, wanting to engulf it, 
or away from experience. This is learning to open to experience, which goes against the grain for, for most of us. Anyone who is in the throes of grasping, wanting, or aversion, um, the mind is contracted. And this is going in the other direction. We're learning to open to experience. If it's, if it's pleasant, to open to it without trying to squeeze more out, without trying to hold on to it. And if it's difficult, if it's challenging, to find somehow the courage to open to it, to be with it in a skillful way. Mm. A number of years ago, there was a, a, a Tibetan uh, teacher, a uh, famous teacher who came to the Monday night class. Uh, it happens every Monday down the lower campus. And uh, I heard about this talk. Somebody told me afterwards and I listened to the tape because in those days, and it was a cassette tape. In those days, it was tape. It was many years ago. And uh, uh, he said at some point in the talk, um, I can sum up all of practice in two words. Everybody got real excited. Two words, okay, here it is, the secret teachings. And then he said, be spacious. Because in that being spacious, you can see clearly you have the space to see what's really here. Mm. A number of years ago, uh, there was a book called The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. Anybody ever read The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment? Yeah. It's a great book. Very thin book, by the way. <laughs> which was very, uh, it, that, or, that very much uh, attracted me right away. The Lazy, okay, I got this one. And his whole... Uh, his whole thesis, this, uh, uh, Thaddeus Golis, his name was, brilliant book. His whole um, thesis was that we are uh, beings of expansion and contraction. And when we are contracted, we're dense and tight and confused. And we are causing suffering for ourselves in the moment and also uh, that our mind is leading to more stress. We call it stress. And that when we are expanded, both in our mind and in our body, there's a kind of ease and clarity and opening us up to all the beautiful qualities of heart and mind. When there's generosity, or love, or kindness, or compassion, or patience. All of those wholesome qualities are expansive qualities of the heart. Very different than uh, fear, anger, jealousy, wanting. All of those are contracted qualities. So more and more we're learning to open up, say, said a moment ago, and relaxation is really uh, the key. Now, relaxed doesn't mean lazy. So, sorry if you thought, oh, cool, I know what I'm gonna do. I'll just check out, go back in my room, and 
If I'm mindful, I'm mindful. If I'm not, I'm not. But I'll be relaxed. Okay, that that's not it. Um, there, there is a, a wholeheartedness that's needed to do this. A willingness to show up for your experience, but with a light heart, with a spacious heart. Mm. And one of the things that um, gets confusing is we evaluate, we have a very powerful tendency to evaluate what, how we're doing by um, what our practice looks like. Oh, my mind is so, uh, so scattered, I must be doing it wrong. Or I've got so many, um, um, so many feelings and uh, uh, I'm, I'm just a, a mass of emotion and I must not be doing it right. Or mm, I don't have any emotion at all, maybe I'm not doing it right. I remember one retreat, I'm just remembering now this one retreat uh, a number of years ago in my earlier days in practice. Uh, and I was, uh, I was sitting there and basically I was hanging out with my breath and the sensations in my body. And it seemed like everybody around was going through boxes of tissues, you know, <laughs> they're weeping and wailing and blowing their nose and all. And, and I was thinking, uh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm doing this right because, uh, you know, they're going through all these catharses and I'm just sitting here with my breath. And I, and I went to the teacher and said, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't sure I was getting my money's worth, actually, you know, <laughs> if you want to know the truth. But uh, I said, I'm just sitting here with my breath and everybody else seems to have so, all these feelings, you know. What, am I doing, you know, what should, I, what should I do? He said, don't go looking for trouble. It'll find you soon enough, you know. <laughs> But we can have your, our own ideas about what good practice can look like. And if you have, whatever your idea or ideal of a good yogi is, let go of it. Because you can't judge it by what's happening. Sometimes there are places of, of deep emotional release. Fine, if it comes, it comes. Don't go looking for it. Sometimes there are places of just deep balance and equanimity where even if the emotions come and go, they're held in a, a very um, wise container. Don't go looking for that either. Sometimes it's just boring. Sometimes it's just sleepy. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes it's pleasant. Don't evaluate by what is going on out there. If you want to evaluate your effort, then just get in touch with your sincerity. That is, the sincerity that you can bring to each moment, your willingness to be here, however it is, whether it's, a, and, and it doesn't mean to be intense all the time, but to find a way to hold your experience with space so that it's not overwhelming, but feel connected to it. Mm. It does take effort to get here. Uh, I don't, th I, 
wasn't here. I don't think I've mentioned here some uh, a, another Tibetan master. Uh, oh, I said this in my Berkeley group. Uh, sometimes talks uh, talked of uh, meditation practice as manual labor. You're just kind of like bringing your mind back. Each oh, it's gone. Okay, come on back. You know. He also said uh, it's like having a love-hate relationship with your meditation cushion. Uh, because sometimes it's humbling and sometimes it's, it's so delicious and beautiful. But it does take effort to get here. And to bring yourself back each time, that's where the training occurs. But once you're here, it doesn't take any extra effort to be here. In fact, any extra effort and you've... Uh, added something on that creates more contraction. So yes, it takes the intention to be here, the willingness to come back each time. But once you're here, to simply open up and take in the moment, however it's controlling, however it's uh, opening to you. So that means to not take it personally when your mind wanders, as I've said. And here is... The key moment, I mentioned this in, uh, in one of the groups today. What I think of as the key moment in this whole process, that is the moment that you realize your mind has wandered. While it's gone, there's nothing much you can do about it. You are gone. But at some point, you might realize, and it helps to be in a room full of people, oh, meditating, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Okay. And then how you deal with the fact that your mind has wandered will condition your whole relationship to meditation practice. So here's the secret teaching. Okay. Mm -hmm there's a few different responses that one can have. One very common response that I mentioned is, oh darn, there I am wandering. Let's get back here and do this right. And you can hear the, the frustration and the judgment and the discouragement and the agitation that comes with that response. What you're doing is cultivating judgment, frustration, discouragement, and agitation with a little bit of awareness thrown in. No extra credit for that. Another very common response, oh, I've been thinking, but this is a very interesting thought. Let me just go with this one. You have bitten the bait, and if you're lucky, you'll be gone for uh, a few seconds, more likely a few minutes or beyond. So it takes some mm, resolve to not get seduced by your thoughts, no matter how wonderful or disturbing they are. They're all just coming and going. Remember, the person behind you just gave you a gift. <clears throat> The recommended response when you realize that your mind has wandered 
instead of feeling discouraged, appreciate the fact that you've just come back to the present moment. Ah, you're finally here. Don't spend time thinking about how you weren't here. It's just more time that you're not here when you do that. So appreciate, ah, here we are. And then let that coming back to the moment be done with great kindness and patience and forgiveness. And just here you are again, present. You don't even have to bring it back. You are back. But just let a sense of okayness be with the fact that you've been gone. And here you are again, right now. Because the way you come back to the moment or the attitude that you have about having been gone, if you can cultivate a patient, kind attitude with yourself, then you're practicing patience and kindness each time. So it doesn't matter how many times your mind has, has drifted off, if each time you bring it back that way, you're cultivating those qualities that will support you, that you want to cultivate anyway. Kindness, patience, presence. <clears throat> How to be relaxed around pain. Not an easy thing to do. So to just take it a little, little at a time, you don't want to be fighting it you might take some breaths and get some space and then instead of gritting and bearing it, you take a look and see what's here. And that leads me to the next aspect of, uh, of this attitude, a relaxed and an interested attitude. Interested, this is the key that we are all born into this world with a natural curiosity. We all want to learn. Isn't it fun when you learn something new and you wanted to learn it? You know? Or you're curious, how does that work anyway? Or what are the words to that song anyway? And... You want to know. There's a place in us that wants to know. And this is just applying this natural curiosity to our practice. And that includes even with a painful sensation. The image that I have is like I'm Sherlock Holmes just exploring, examining, what is this that I'm calling pain? And it helps to do take a little manageable chunk of time. Okay, for the next minute or half minute, let's just really be with this. Let's see what's here. And you do it in just a little bit. You touch it with curiosity and then you might move back. And do that a few times so you have a chance to see that you can actually be curious about things that aren't particularly pleasant. It can be fascinating. As somebody said in, the, uh, in, in one of the groups today, sometimes when he looks at pain, it can be fascinating. You know? It can be just even fascinating to see, oh, I can be with this. But not to be a macho meditator, and yes, I'm going to be tough. You just 
that's where you need to know your edge. And when it becomes a struggle, then you just relax. But being interested changes it from, oh, I've, do I have to be with this? To, oh, let me see, let me look. We've all come into the world with this curiosity, just like, um, uh, like being a child, as Jesus said, except ye be like children, you will not know the kingdom of heaven. This is just letting that childlike wonder come out of you. I, I've mentioned sometimes before, I have this birthday card at home. I've never sent it because it's too precious and I, I love it. And whenever I look through my cards, it just reminds me, yep, that's it. And it's of this um, uh, baby who uh, has um, cross eyes as he's, uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's staring mesmerized, I should say, not cross eyes, although slightly crossed in, in the picture, you know. Just mesmerized, he's holding a, a booger in his, in his hand, right? You know, right from his nose. And there he is just fascinated Mm. And you open it up and it says, you always were easy to entertain. Happy birthday. You know? that's, that's who we are, you know, that we, we love to learn. We love to check things out. Although usually it seems like we need to have a lot of entertainment for things to be worthy of our attention. And here's the the curiosity, as you develop your mindfulness, anything becomes interesting. The breath can be one of the most fascinating things in the world. I can remember hmm, in the, uh, at one point getting fairly quiet and staying with the breath and saying to myself, who needs drugs? Why would anyone, God, there's this breath. Don't wait for that to happen. But it's possible, the more you, this is how it works, the more you bring an interest, and at the beginning you need to kind of convince yourself that this is interesting. If somebody was putting your head underwater, the breath would be the most interesting thing in in the world to you. This is what's keeping you alive. Okay, let's be here for this breath. But the more you train yourself to be here, the stronger the mindfulness gets. The stronger, the more mindful you are, the more you see. The more you see, the more interesting everything becomes. The more interesting, the more you want to pay attention. So there's this kind of buildup of momentum. The other path is if you don't put in the effort to be present, to be interested, even to pretend that it's interesting, and that's okay as a start. Well, I'll pretend that the breath is interesting. Uh, If you don't, oh, this is boring. There must be something else I can kind of occupy myself with, then the mindfulness doesn't build. If it doesn't build, 
things aren't as interesting and it's harder to pay attention. And so it goes in the direction of just, oh, my thoughts are a whole lot more interesting than, uh, than this moment. But actually, when you really start landing in the present moment, it's a whole lot more interesting than your thoughts. So you might just check that out. And it's a continual exploration. It's not like, oh, now I see it, and uh, okay, nothing for more for me to see. Uh, I, I remember in one, I go, went into one interview with, uh, with my teacher. This is, I'd been practicing for a number of years and all of a sudden uh, I was seeing things that I'd never saw, never saw quite that way before. And I went into to, uh, to the interview and I said, wow, I don't know what I've been doing up until now, but it's like, it's a whole new world. And he said, oh yeah, I know that feeling. I said, you do? He said, yeah, I get it every time I sit. Every time I do a retreat, and I said, you do? And he'd been practicing for many years. He said, yeah. And then he looked at me, and he leaned forward, I'll never forget, with this twinkle in his eye, and he said, and you know what? It's like we're at the tip of the iceberg. The tip of the iceberg. He wasn't saying, oh, there's so much more that we have to, have to keep on learning. He was saying, how exciting. It's always new if we have that, quality of wonder and interest. So relaxed, interested, kind awareness. And this is such a key element to this practice. As the Dalai Lama says, my religion is kindness. Everything else comes from that. Kindness with yourself, kindness with the moment, and it starts spilling over kindness with everyone around you. Because as you're willing to take a look at this whole mind-body process, this fathom-long laboratory, you'll you'll see the whole show. You see pettiness and fear and loneliness and judgment and love and beauty and compassion and kindness and clarity. This is being willing to open up to the whole human experience. Robert Bly has this line, every part of our personality that we do not learn to love will become hostile to us. Just like a mother loves the whole package, even when her child has a tantrum. Oh yes, yeah, I hope I get to this and I still love love her. So we're learning to open up to the whole show and that takes tremendous kindness and compassion It's not easy sometimes, but when it's not easy, you hold it all with kindness and compassion. Here's a a quick uh, self-compassion exercise that comes out of uh, Kristen Neff and Chris Germer's work on self-compassion. It's basically doing what we're doing here, but with a very simple formula that you can use when when things get a little little challenging. Um, Here it is. 
four parts. First part, try this with me. Put your hand on your heart, which right away um, stimulates the vagus nerve and releases oxytocin in your, in your body, the feel-good hormone. Just feel that for a moment. Feel the tenderness. And then three different phrases. You might close your eyes and see if you can connect with this. This is a moment of suffering. Just acknowledging, oh, this is hard. And you can use your own variation of words that, that you resonate with. This is a moment of suffering. Suffering is a part of life. That connects you with everyone, all the people in the world that are going through a hard time right now. Suffering is a part of life. And may I hold my suffering with kindness and compassion. Once again, this is a moment of suffering. Suffering is a part of life. May I hold my suffering with kindness and compassion. You can't overdo that. Anytime you're starting to get a bit contracted and tight and wound up, Whatever variation works for you, bring some kindness to the moment and to yourself. And just think, oh, I'm really trying here. I'm doing the best I can. It's hard right now, and I'm trying. Give yourself credit for that and hold it with compassion. So what, what happens as you just do this very simple exercise is that life starts revealing itself to you. Even if you don't think you're getting anywhere, you can have an understanding that kind of creeps up from behind. Uh, I'll share with you a, a, a thought, a story that's coming to my mind. On my second retreat, I had a really hard time the first couple of days. My body was hurting and my mind was everywhere. And I seemed like, uh, it seemed weird and nobody knew what they were doing. And I was sure that everybody around was a phony. And I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, sit and I tried to walk. I couldn't walk. And finally, I just said, oh, I need to chill out. I need to cool out here. And I went to my space in this meditation center and uh, uh, just to lie down. And I had a picture of, of uh, a very wise being who opens up my heart, looking back at me, and he was saying, hmm, having a hard time, aren't we? Huh? And in a moment, I just laughed at this intense drama that I'd created for myself. And in that moment, all the doubt vanished. And I was so excited. I couldn't wait to tell my teacher that I had conquered doubt. Right? 
except the interview was the next day. And between that time and the interview, I went from exhilaration to crashing to confusion to some clarity and then a bit more grasping and confusion and I was I was all over the map and I walked into the the interview and he said so how's it going and I said completely innocent and completely exasperated it's always changing he said that's it you got it oh that's what you keep on saying Oh, it really is always changing. I got it. And I would get it again and again and again, and I'm still getting it. What you see, instead of being in the middle of that confusion, there's an awareness that can see, oh, we're getting confused, aren't we? Yes. And instead of being in the middle of that drama, you can be the awareness that sees it all. That's who you really are. That's the good news. More that, than any confusion or doubt or fear or anger, there's an awareness that's not touched by any of it. And this is what we're opening up to again and again and again. So I'll, I'll close with a passage I, I love from uh, Shanti Deva, who wrote The Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, about the miracle of awakening. As a blind person feels upon finding a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness. It is the nectar of immortality that delivers us from death. The treasure that lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life. The tree that gives shade to us when we roam about scorched by life. The bridge that takes us across the stormy river of life. The cool moon of compassion that calms our mind when it is agitated. The sun that dispels darkness. The butter made from the milk of kindness by churning it with the Dharma. It is a feast of joy to which all are invited. So let's sit for just a moment. As a blind person feels upon finding a pearl in a dustbin, so am I amazed by the miracle of awakening rising in my consciousness.
Thank you for your attention. Enjoy the walking period and we'll be back for a